Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Eugene, and we are interrupting our scheduled programming with an emergency broadcast uh, because Ludovic de Sansernin this morning, as we learned, was fired from Andy Millimister following by a firing of uh, Ruigi from Bali. And uh, I thought, well, one firing is a newsletter, but two firings is a podcast. So I am back with uh, our friend, Filippo Porhashemi. Uh, welcome back, Philippe. Thank you so much for having me, Eugene. And, you know, I'm, I can't wait to discuss the news. I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, dramatic and unexpected in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's get into it. Uh, and for those who you don't know, uh, Philippe is a regular guest. We usually discuss um, uh, runway seasons, but... Uh, Philippe is a also fashion critic, a journalist, an editor, a coach, a consultant. He does many things, and uh, one of the most unfiltered uh, minds and one of the most intelligent minds. So, always happy to have him. So, is this the end of hype? That's been this is what we picked, right? Because when you texted me and you said this is the end of hype, and I thought. Ah, maybe, maybe. So, uh, initial thoughts, Philippe? Well, we don't know about the reasons for the for the breakup, that sudden breakup, and it, it feels like a very impulsive thing uh, after six months. I mean, six months is hardly any time, you know, to make such such strong and rash decisions. So, we don't know anything about that yet, but I think it's... Um, it's quite revealing in many ways uh, about, you know, social media versus competence and expertise and what actual designers can do and what a community manager is. And these are two completely different jobs. And I think sometimes the industry has a tendency to confuse those two roles, thinking that if you're a great community manager, then you're obviously going to be a, a successful designer. No, it doesn't yeah. work, you know. <laughs> yeah. no, no, it doesn't work. Yeah. So in a way, it's kind of shocking, but at the same time, interesting. How do you feel yeah. about it? Yeah. Uh, well, my initial thought was that you really hit on something when you said this is the end of hype era. And... I think we'll get into you know we'll get into Ludovic uh, in a minute, but I I think it's worth painting a wider picture here that maybe we are witnessing the end of hype era in which we've had creative directors who are trendy with a certain demographic who have a higher profile. Uh, in terms of their persona rather than, you know, running a successful line or having talent in terms of designing, experience in terms of designing. And these uh, creators given pretty significant brands to run for which they're clearly unequipped to do so. Mm -hmm. So this wave of firings, I think, 
it absolutely is worth putting it into a wider context. And I can't think of a worse fit for Andy Milimister than Ludovic de Saint-Sernan was because Andy Milimister was about poetry, romance, sophistication, which all put into in a very modern sort of a rock and roll, punky, gothy kind of uh, chic. And Ludovic is just like, in your face sex uh without any romance <laughs> or any sophistication or anything like that um so that was my initial impression and when uh the news came out i was really taken aback because i thought well that doesn't fit and i understand the uh, mandate which is to rejuvenate Andy Milimister, the brand, and bring a new audience to it. However, I think where the management made the mistake is that you should bring a designer who respects house codes and not and knows his man, uh, mandate and not a designer who will just bring himself into whatever project and bring his ego into whatever project and make himself the center of the brand instead of servicing the brand and filtering it through his creative imagination uh, and adding to it. Uh, and that really hit me. And I was going to give him benefit of the doubt but I tell you what was very telling even before the collection, the first runway show when that series of photos came out of him, like, quote-unquote, interpreting Andy Milimister, I thought, oh, this is over before it began. And this was exactly Ludovic making himself the centerpiece of a storied brand with very clearly defined DNA. And, it did feel yeah. like a very narcissistic thing to do. Exactly. And actually, it did feel also like a very generational thing to do, if you think about his peers and his group, because it's all about, you know, oh, look at us, we've made it. Mm -hmm. But nothing, there's no credentials. Mm -hmm. Nothing has been achieved. That's exactly what you said in your introduction. Where's the business acumen? Where is your success? Where does it come from? Doesn't matter. Look at the numbers. We have the following. We made it. You know, yeah. we have these people. And it's the idea that I think what they're selling, obviously, these designers, is their following. And the fact that these people want to identify with them. And therefore, the clients will also buy the product because they want to to become that. But my question is, who wants to become Ludovic? I mean, <laughs> I don't what know. is it? What is it about Ludovic mm -hmm. as a person that is so charming and so fascinating that you would want to be him? I mean, okay, for you know, wanting to be Rico once, yeah, I get it. You know, right. there are things that are quite quite mesmerizing there. But what? What does Ludovic bring to fashion? You know, and I think it's jumping, we're jumping everything here. It's going way too fast. Mm -hmm. You know, these people are being given houses and responsibilities they just cannot handle. Exactly. And what is it that we are expecting of them? Or are we using them as figureheads mm -hmm. to bring, you know, 
social media clout. And then there are other people actually seriously designing in the backdrop. I don't know. You know, yeah. but this could also be what's going to happen with Farrell Williams when he gets to Vuitton. That's also an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, there has to be some actual designers doing innovative, creative, exciting work at Vuitton. Otherwise, it's going to die out as well. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Louis Vuitton because I have this in my notes and we, we I want to get into that. Absolutely. Because I do think... Uh, so from what I understand, the first collection actually did fine in terms of orders from stores. We don't know how it will do in terms of retail sales, but there was definitely interest uh, picked from some stores. So from what I understand, like it did, it did fine uh, at the showroom in terms of wholesale. Uh, so to me, I feel like this was probably a clash of egos between the management and the creative director, which is okay. We've seen this before. Um, so, but to me, like I, I just feel like the reputational hit both parties have taken. It's, it's, it's bad for everyone. It makes everybody look bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You just I don't mean, hire, makes, you just don't fire a designer in six months. You just no, don't do that. It, and it, it also makes you look as a brand, like you have no idea who you are mm -hmm. and you're trying to find desperately who you are and you're hesitating and it doesn't look like a confident move at all because yeah. it's too fast, you know? So I think it's, it's very clumsy. Uh, from many from many aspects, and I think also it makes the brand look weaker in a way, you know, and that's yeah. bad for the brand. Yeah, that's bad for Anne de Mester as a brand. Whatever Anne de Mester stands for today, because that's another question. In two thousand, you know, twenty three, what is Anne de Mester about? I mean, yeah. these are also questions that we need to find answers for. Yeah, you know, no, I agree, and. It is a very tricky question. And listen, I agree that any creative director who gets this mandate today will be in a very difficult position because you, the way I understand to build a brand is this you do something interesting, and you, through doing that, you create a core audience of a hardcore, fan of your brand and you build on that and and sort of these people become your ambassadors in a way so like for Enzo Millimister is a, is a prime example of that when all these creative women gallery owners artists uh, musicians started wearing and because it spoke to them on a deep level and that was the best advertisement for what the brand stands for. They were, you know, the brand, the unpaid brand ambassadors, right? <laughs> Which is the language we use today. Um, and so you yeah. build that first 
And from there, you start bolting on more commercial propositions, which with Andy Mister was basically her shoes, right? Like her shoes did incredibly well. You know, I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen women wear her shoes who wouldn't have a single piece of Andy Mister clothing. They still wear them today, actually. These yeah, women, and, still, and they yeah, still yeah. wear them today. So yeah. you, you know what you do, or what like what would like with Recoins, you make an amazing product, and then you sell the sneakers all day long to eighteen-year-olds. Right, but still, like all come the garçon. We we all have these. We know these examples, right? But I think you don't alienate that core audience, even if they're fifty now. It doesn't matter if they're fifty; they still want to wear the clothes. Um, you just yeah, have I mean, to... you're absolutely right. You need to think about who your customer is, and at the same yeah. time, you need to think about what is believable, because at the end of the day dressing Kendall Jenner in Anne de Mister and turning it into sexy shapewear is not believable. I'm sorry, it does not work. And I think that's what's really telling about this story, uh, Eugene, that we're experiencing now with this brand. It's like, it doesn't matter how much money you throw at it, how many influencers you get, it does not feel authentic. Yeah. And if it's not read as something authentic by your audience, they will not purchase the clothes. Exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. If, yeah, and I agree. And and if that core is gone, then you have a hollowed out core, and I don't know how you can build on the hollowed out core. And well, first of all, you need to find the right muses or the <laughs> yeah. right ambassadors that yeah. stand for the values of your brand. Certainly not Kendall and the Kardashians. That's not yeah. going to work, you know. And and then secondly, the thing you have to do, of course, is find a designer who is respectful of Anne's legacy without, you know, dwelling into nostalgia or copy-pasting what's been done or thinking, oh, I'm going to put more flesh on the runway and that's going to be my innovation. I'm sorry. In 2023, it's not shocking anymore. Yeah, it's not you yeah. know nobody's going to think oh wow we're seeing some flesh at Anne she did nudity but she did it in a completely different oh, way yeah. and she did skin in a completely different way and I feel that you know when it comes to female designers because we've experienced the same pitfalls with Jill Sander mm-hmm. and you know other brands that like Donna Karan and Quizia they just ended up you know fading away and I think if the designers taking on these brands are not aware of the of the soul and the essence of that woman, that woman who was designing. I mean, how are you going to keep keep it going? It's almost impossible to me. You have to respect who that woman was. And I specifically say woman mm-hmm. because I think that, you know, in the case of Jill Sander, I think Luke and Lucy have managed to reinstate, you know, some of that aura into yeah. the brand that had completely faded away they managed to do that so i'm not saying it's an impossible task but at the same time it has to be done respectfully you know and in an intelligent way that is very very true and what i was thinking about it this morning uh what was about andy millimister and of course it was Anne herself and it was also the fact that Anne is a woman she has a woman's body who designs for other women and she understands that body because she lives that. Yeah. Um, and I don't see Ludovic respecting a female body at all. 
Like, it's like someone doing work. drag. It's like someone doing yeah. drag, you know, like, oh, I'm going to get some long hair, some Mongolian wrap around me. And here, here we go. I'm an icon. <laughs> I'm Anne, you know? Yeah. I mean, no, but I mean, we're laughing, but that's kind of what the images but, were. Yeah, it's really I mean, sad. these portraits, yeah. I was like, okay, this is it. But, but sorry, honey, you're not John Galliano. No, you know, you're not, no. you're not, you're not somebody who has that kind of power. Yeah that you're going to become a central figure because you're mm. so charismatic. You know, again, it's like, I just don't, I just don't understand why, why he was given that job. It's obviously a casting error, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I, and I keep seeing a lot of casting errors yeah. around me. And then, and then I see someone like Alessandro Michele being shown the door. I know. And then there was that show in Seoul. I don't know if you saw it. Awful oh, snowboarding. Beyond. What the hell was beyond. that? I mean, what beyond. was that Gucci? You know, oh, I thought you were going to go all luxury and equestrian. Yeah, I could understand that. But you're taking me snowboarding? Like, what, yeah. what, what's that? You know? Yeah. And I just, I just think like, what is going on with people there? They're losing track of what of what the storytelling of the brand is, you know. Yeah. And 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 the Mulmester is not a heritage brand. It hasn't been around for 120 years. Exactly. So you have to stick to the script. You have to respect exactly. what what the DNA is. And I'm sure there's a way to make it current. Yeah. And to make it relevant, but not with a man posing as Anne. Exactly. You know, it's, no, I'm sorry. That, yeah. That's not enough. Yeah, it's no, not enough. I, I agree. I agree. And once again, I will say, like, you cannot alienate the core customer. And I don't care if that woman and that man are now 50 years old. They still dress. They still buy fashion, maybe more don't than matter. ever, because they, they now the have clothes. money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Unless you start yeah. making bags and perfume and so on. And then the question is, are you going to go up against LVMH and caring on that? Good luck. Um, so I do think, you know, one thing is to highlight is that why has everyone forgotten about an older customer when that customer clearly has money? And number two is um, I don't want... Uh, us and our audience to concentrate solely on designers, but I think it's also time we should look at uh, management of many of these companies. And also we need to understand that the designer and the management, they are part of the same ecosystem when it comes to a brand and one cannot exist without the other. And exactly. I've, and, uh, and I've been thinking here of LVMH and caring, right? Like we know, we all know Matthew is floundering at Givenchy. I don't know what the sales are. I don't know how it's doing commercial because they don't break, LVMH is smart that way. They don't break out the sales for Givenchy, which is infuriating, of course, because you never know how the brand is doing uh, re uh, really. But here's the thing. They are sticking by Matthew. Like, yeah, it, the shows get bad reviews. You know, there was this embarrassing New York Times article, give Matthew Williams a chance. Uh, so people know, but LVMH, they're sticking with him. And I think it's for two reasons. One, they understand that their reputation is everything. Is at and, stake. Yeah, exactly. and they're not yeah. going to take a reputational hit, even if they're taking the financial hit. Um, and number two... 
okay, we may not, we may think, you know, Ludovic was a misfit, Ruigi at Bali, one million percent a miscast. Uh, I don't even know what they were thinking over there. Okay. Um, but it's like also a record label used to develop a band. You know, they would get behind the band and let them make mistakes and see what happens in a couple of years. And it's yeah. just I don't see that happening now. And and that, but and do, that do is also. Do you think, in exciting. a way, that it's a more conservative environment now than in the late '90s? Remember, we had the McQueen appointment at Givenchy. We had the Galliano appointment at Dior. You know, we had like these provocateur designers getting into the big houses in Paris. Do you think that it was more daring at that time? And I think it probably was because there was not so much money at stake, maybe, or there were different interests or different people judging the clothes. I don't know. But I think that now it's a much more conservative environment for hiring new talent. Maybe. But even then, if you remember, like, critics hated McQueen at Givenchy. Like those first co collections got destroyed by the critics and LVMH actually stuck by him. It was McQueen who wanted out when he realized like, oh Jesus, like this is a corporate machine and the opposite of everything that I love. Um, but I can't help thinking that you do need management to create a strategy around. And if we look uh, uh, at Say like Alessandro Michele at Givenchy, right? He was plucked out of nowhere and he's very talented. Uh, I yeah. may not, it's not my taste. I, I actually, I don't like what he did, but it doesn't matter. He is talented and he was giving an incredible structure of support. Um, you know, it, it's like, given a letter to Michelangelo instead of building a scaffolding and say, go paint the ceiling on the, of the Sistine Chapel instead of building a scaffolding and giving him... I think it was the same with, with Saint Laurent, uh, with Vaccarello at Saint Laurent. I think he was given actually generous time and a certain number of collections before being embraced by people. But I think, okay, maybe commercially he was doing well from the start, which... Knowing Vaccarello, it probably did quite well commercially, but but a lot of people hated it. A lot of people called the first campaigns, uh, you know, like kind of they were hateful towards women and they objectified women, and it was kind of like an old fashioned vision of sexuality. Yeah. Uh, but now, when you look at what he does for Saint Laurent, it does feel like the perfect fit. Yes. So the question is like, okay, what? What are our expectations as an industry? Are we realistic when it comes down to expecting somebody to enter a house and straight away deliver mm -hmm. something amazing and then do it season after season? You know, there's also that aspect. But we both know, you know, with our experience in fashion, we both know when somebody is completely wrong for a job. And, yeah. and we seem to see a, a more and more wrong people being hired. Yes. And I'm wondering if it's not Instagram that just creates this confusion, you know, this idea that Instagram is the only form of success and it's yeah. the ultimate validation. And that if you don't have it, whether you are a designer, a model, a show producer, a photographer, then you simply don't exist, you know. And a few days ago, I interviewed Malgozia Bella, who's one of the most iconic models in fashion. She doesn't have Instagram, 
you know, and she said to wow. me, well, I'm thankful that my agent still manages to find me work. <laughs> I have great, I have great management. She said that yeah. to me. She said, I have great management because they find me work, you know, yeah. consistently. And, and I don't have to be on Instagram. So I'm like, okay, great. You know, like yeah. something is, something is going on. Something is shifting. So yeah. The more visible you are, the more vulnerable you become. Also, mm-hmm. as a designer, mm-hmm. you know yeah. that's the other thing. And and someone like Ludovic is highly visible. Yeah, I I agree. But actually, you know what? Is he highly visible outside of this like little Paris fashion circus? I know he is like one of the darlings in Paris, but do people really care? To be honest, like ask anyone in New York, for example, and they're gonna be like, who? We've never heard. Who is this guy? Well, I, I was just looking at his Instagram, like, you know, before before we started chatting, because I wanted to see if there was a reaction. Uh, you know, there still hasn't been anything posted. There might be something posted later. And the first thing I saw was just like, you know, it was basically tits and ass. I mean, mm-hmm. so, you know, <laughs> it's just like semi-pornography. Yeah. Like again, you know, we discussed this before. Uh, the thing with the spectacle and social media is that it needs to be pornographic, pornographic yes. in the literal sense, but also in the figurative sense, because it has to grab your balls and yeah. your attention yeah, yeah, yeah. straight away. So he does that. So I'm, um, you know, the three hundred thousand whatever followers, they're obviously looking for that. It's the mm-hmm. voyeuristic thing, and I think he's. He's also, ex- in a way, like exposing parts of himself or revealing things about himself that are very intimate, starting with his body, you know? And yeah. there's like no boundary there. And I'm just thinking, yeah. okay, like, what does that say about our society? We're all little voyeurs, you know? Oh, 100%. Like, 100%. Yeah. So it's also, he's tapping into that kind of repressed, maybe, uh, I mean, in a way, repressed sexuality because... Mm-hmm. You know, the more porn we see around, it doesn't mean that everybody's at it having sex. Maybe it's the opposite. <laughs> oh, it's the know? opposite, 100 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in a way, it's kind of interesting this as well, like this using flesh. Because again, I felt that his first collection with Anne, the only statement it made was flesh. Yeah. You know, and models holding their breasts. Yeah. And showing their skin. And which for me was, again, a very bad interpretation Yes. of what some of Anne's look were in the early 90s, where she showed skin, but in a totally different way. Oh, yeah, totally yeah, yeah. Totally different yeah. way, you know. A- and, a- yeah. Yeah. And here's Again, it's, what... Sh- sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what you were saying. Sorry, Eugene. It's what you were saying about her being a woman, like mm-hmm. her view of, of sex and eroticism and sensuality and intimacy and the subtlety that came yeah. with that. You know, yeah. it was subtle. Yeah. It was not, it was never brash. It was never like overt. Yeah. It was always like a very finely tuned, subtle way to, to make women look erotic, but never pornographic. Exactly. It was not, you know, that, and I think, I think obviously, I think Ludovic is about porn. I mean, the yeah, whole yeah. referencing and the, and it's like, you know, Tom Ford all over again, you know, yeah, it's like yeah, early yeah. 2000 aesthetics and yeah. it's, it's what it's about more flesh and more, more flesh. And yeah. More well, and that's where, and that's where a pop say. culture is today, right? It's all about that. Yeah. He's the embodiment, you know, he's the 
whatever, you know, Dua Lipa of fashion. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. There we go. Yeah, I he's the that. Dua Lipa of fashion. No, it's true. It's all about voyeurism. Yeah. It's all about look at me, you know, look but don't touch culture. And it's not about the clothes. And again, like, no. where are his clothes selling? I mean, tell me what, what is he selling? Is he selling, you know, thongs? Is he selling yeah. like metal mesh? you know, metal mesh underwear. Yeah. Like, I mean, what the hell is he yeah. selling? I mean, tell me where where I can actually see his stuff. Uh, because... Yeah, and who wears it? Nobody. And that's that's yeah. the thing. That's why it's, this is the, the very, de- he is the very definition of hype. And, and, and to exactly, go, because yeah. there is no substance behind it. And yeah. the thing is, you know, at the end of the day, when you compare him to Anne and how actually everything Anne did, every gesture had a reason and had a, had a reason to be there. You mm-hmm. know, there was, there was an understanding. There was a world. What he did with her was just a, a giant laughable pastiche of what she is. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's very sad as well. When you take yeah. a brand like that and you reduce it to nothing. And that's a little bit what happened when Jill Sander walked away uh, yes. 23 years ago and she was replaced by Milan. You remember this guy yeah. who used to be an editor. Yeah, Milan Vukmirovic. Exactly. And the collections were disasters. I mean, yeah. it was like punk Jill, you know, like rockabilly Jill. And everybody was like, what's going on there? <laughs> I mean, what, what's going on with this? And, you know, it's exactly the same thing. It's like you just, and it didn't work out, of course. You cannot take these sorts of worlds and simplify them. It doesn't yeah. work. And as you said, I think it alienates your consumer completely big time yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. big time and i want to take a little sidetrack and go back to uh to to the thought about how much shows matter because it's one thing if people saw the photos and even on the photos those clothes look sort of sexually aggressive and not but the show itself the choice of the music was terrible it was some kind of house terrible house music the way the models walked were like very aggressive like they never walked like that when Anne was there and would never in a million years pick music like that so that what i'm trying to say is that all of that adds to a presentation of the brand and that's what made what made you know when Anne did nudity what made it romantic and fragile and let's just say it human right mm. it it was also that it was the music she picked it was the way the models looked the way the models walked and also the frequency right what you do is you put one model who walks out and covers her breast and all of a sudden that's like this not shocking but it grabs your attention statement but it also makes you think. It's not hammered into your head. And that's what makes it beautiful and romantic and frag- fragile, too, instead of a parade of flesh that we, we witnessed. So, yeah, the whole thing was just like... There just wasn't any subtlety in it, you know. And when you were talking about about that show and how Anne's shows used to be, I immediately thought of, you know, the difference between Paolo Roversi's photographs yes. and Terry Richardson. Yes. You know? Exactly. That's it. I mean, Anne would be a Roversi. Yes. And Ludovic would be a Terry. <laughs> you know, that's it. It's yeah. like, it's a, it's a sort of, you know, in your face, 
look at me like kind of aggressive, as mm -hmm. you said, yeah, very, very much con even confrontational, mm -hmm. except that, you know, how can you find that kind of nudity on the runway confrontational in 2023 i mean it yeah. we've seen it so many times and it's been done so much better mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. that you know there's nothing new about it and i think that's my other problem with those appointments is where is the innovation right. are we just doing nostalgia here you know are we just tapping into something the good old 90s and trying to replicate it mm -hmm. where's the innovation you yeah. know what about the clothes and and i think that's the absence of the clothes Mm -hmm. That is the most revealing thing. And I think you see that also in other shows. Suddenly there's a lot, a lot less clothes being shown yeah. and more skin. And you're like, okay, what happened there? Are you scared of showing me your designs? You know, yeah. are you scared of, of me judging you? And I think it's a combination of all those things, but yeah. it's, uh, yeah. Another thing, of course, you know, another question is should Andamele Meister continue for another 50 years or a hundred right. years, you know? Yeah. How do we feel about that? I mean, is it a brand that should continue that long and, and why? You know? Yeah. 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 Somebody texted me and said they should have just let that brand die with dignity. <laughs> I was, and I responded to too late for that. Um, uh, it's another, yeah, it's another uh, difficult problematic yeah. thing. It's but like, this is a business consideration, right? Because Anne Chappelle owned the company and if she got a, if someone came in and said, we'll buy it from you, she wasn't just going to dissolve it, right? She was she was going to say, yeah, okay, here, <laughs> give me a few million or whatever. I'll gladly sell it to you. So they're mm. a business. So yeah, I think in the ideal world, maybe the best thing was for Enzimili Mister to, you know, to, to stop and say like, you know, this is an end of an era. Let's remember that era fondly because it was extremely important. Uh, but it's fashion, right? Things change and brands uh, get born and then they die. And that is the absolute nature of fashion. And that's okay. You know, it's kind of, there's no really point in mourning uh, for that. But yeah, it's almost better to go out on top, of course, than to see the brand flounder like that. But you know the other thing, Eugene, when you think about it, I mean, think of Anne in 1993, which was probably the start of her golden years. You know, I remember like by 96 or 97, she was in American Vogue, photographed by Irving Penn, you know, yeah. so it was yes. really like her, her golden years, golden era, you know. Could a brand like this today with, you know, which at the end of the day was quite minimalistically inclined. Mm -hmm, I mean, if you think mm -hmm. about, and there was nothing shouting, nothing bragging. It was quite, quite subtle. And it, it had that poetry, it had that sort of like, you know, dandyish quality, I would say, you know, um, and something that was very literary, actually, something very wordy, something very, almost philosophical you know there was almost it was almost like existentialism becoming fashion you know there was that kind of layer in and yeah at least how i i saw it how i perceived it it was always an intelligent brand yes you know, for exactly educated that people. is that is exactly and the word to, intelligent and today who cares about that audience <laughs> i mean yeah you know like yeah. i mean who cares who cares about these people you know then i mean they're not buying logos. 
They're right. not buying like sweatshirts for a thousand euros. They're not buying sneakers with gigantic whatever on them, you know, mm-hmm. double C's or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, is it worth it? Is yeah. it worth like investing money into it yeah. to get such a small return? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the, the luxury client today yeah, yeah. and what oh, luxury forget it. is. Yeah. I mean, the luxury client today is a fucking idiot. We know that. And yeah, it's the fashion is no more. I actually think, and I'm going to write, well, I already wrote something about it. I think we should start separate, separating fashion and luxury. I think yeah. they're two different things. It's yeah, about, they're completely it's a, different and things. And it's about time yeah. we start. Especially today. Separate. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but that's a different topic. Yeah. Um, but are you hopeful at all? Because we are seeing this ver- that, that this Virgil Abloh model is not really working. And it is especially not working in women's wear. Like menswear mm-hmm. maybe is easier to fake because everyone now wants just like elevated streetwear. But for women, I don't think, I think it's much easier to fake. So I don't know. So uh, do you think, are you hopeful at all that we're witnessing truly the end of hype era and the, the end of the Virgil Abloh model? Well, I give you one example. One designer whom I think is extremely relevant today, but at the same time, who manages to juggle all of these aspects while keeping a very intelligent mindset is Jonathan Anderson. Mm -hmm. And I think Jonathan is a very good example of, if you look at Lueve and the woman who might buy Lueve, you know, she could be an Anne woman, actually. Yeah. Strangely, she could find things in the store, in the collection that would appeal to her at the same time he manages to get attention on social media with things that are shocking, but in a way it's almost like conceptual art, you know, right. He's sort of like testing us on a, on an intellectual and psychological level. And I think there's a cerebral uh, approach mm-hmm. in the way he looks at fashion. And I think this is what Anne and Jonathan probably had in common. They had that cerebral approach. Right. So it's concept first in a way, and then comes the body and then comes the aesthetic. But I think Anne surely had a concept about what kind of language she wanted. Yeah. And I think she managed to establish that over the years. And Jonathan is the same. And I think you will see it's interesting. There's a sensuality in Lueve, for example, which is not obvious, which is not overt. Right. And there is an intelligence in the design, you know, in, the, in what he creates that could appeal to that client. So, you know, if you look at people that used to buy Margella before, that used to buy Yoji, mm-hmm, that used to mm-hmm. buy Jill, maybe that woman is buying Lueve today because she gets she gets the design intelligence maybe. and the quality that she needs. And I yeah. think there are still designers like him around but you're right you know when it comes to very young talents i think social media is has become very misleading and i think it's you know and we maybe they're all living in this illusion as i said earlier that they've made it already when in fact they they've made nothing Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, there is no question that the ego gets way ahead of the actual abilities. And partly, yeah. as we know very well, fashion is to blame there because these you we know for a fact Ludovic is surrounded by his little band of sycophants there in Paris who are, you know, telling him every day how amazing he is. 
Yeah. Uh, when in reality, he's a, he's an okay kind of middle mediocre designer, you know. But that's a huge problem for that generation because if you are never criticized, and if you don't get a constructive criticism from somebody, how do you grow and how do you become better? And how do you become a more successful designer? And, you know, sometimes I have conversations with people who are like 10, 15 years or, uh, younger than me, and they just cannot take critique at all. Yes. And I'm just thinking like, come on, you know, like yes. get a grip. Who, who do you think you are? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Really like, you know, exactly. Yeah. And that's, yeah. and that's a problem. And, you know, I'm also, I know we both have been feeling somewhat optimistic about the role of criticism. I do think it's having a bit of a comeback. And I do think that criticism is becoming, so there is a bit of a return there. But again, we, we shouldn't stop hammering that point home. This is the real point of criticism. Somebody has to come in and say, based on their knowledge, based on their education, not being a quote-unquote hater, which is the dumbest word in the English language, but here's what, you know, based on my knowledge and expertise and experience, this is what I think you're doing wrong. And this is mm. important and yeah. precious and I would even say it's a contribution. Yeah. You know, a cri critique is a contribution. Exactly. I always say that. And and it's not criticism is not hatred. Exactly. You know, it's it's never been hatred. Criticism is what you expect from people who really care for what you do. Exactly. Because they are honest to you. You know, and exactly. that's the thing. Like at the end of the day, look at us. Like we we care about fashion. We want yeah. fashion to be on a certain level. We don't want fashion to become this sort of mindless, stupid thing. You know, we, we want fashion to reflect a certain intelligence that, you know, we, we have and we share. And I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. I just of wish, course. you know, designers could, could do clothes, make clothes that are, have more intelligence. And intelligence can be a lot of things. Intelligence can be a lot of things, but I keep thinking about somebody like Martin Margiela, and I just think, my God, like being so as anonymous yeah. as he was in the 80s, he would be completely wiped out today. Oh, yeah. Nobody yeah, would yeah, even yeah. pay attention to what he 100%, does. 100%, you know? yeah. He would be completely ignored. And you think about this guy who basically created upcycling. He created the, the whole right. notion yes. of upcycling. He did it first. And that was a shock to the system. And people were like, I'm not paying that money for old clothes. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what it, it's, I mean, who is like this today? Who has the possibility to turn the system around, to turn it inside out, to be such a, a provocateur who, by the way, had been, you know, had been taught by the best because he worked with Gautier for so long. Exactly. So yeah. he knew and, everything and you read about my tailoring. Mind. He yeah. knew everything about... Exactly. Yeah. And you read my everything mind. About, mm -hmm. He knew everything about the discipline. Yes. And it's because he knew about the discipline that he was the right person to challenge it. Yeah. And this, you know, he exactly. was the right person. Exactly. Yeah. Same with McQueen. Same with yeah. McQueen. And, exactly. And, yeah. 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 And yeah. Gautier is a great example why I said you read my mind because... He was very campy and very flashy, but it was intelligent. And this is what exactly to go back to what you just said. Intelligent can be many things. Gautier is an incredibly intelligent designer. It just looks, it looks campy. It looks fun. It looks theatrical. 
Um, and I, this is why, like, I think both of us have like tremendous respect for someone like Gautier because it is intelligent. <laughs> and, and, and the clothes are impeccable. That's the yes. thing as well. I mean, you know, you look at clothes from Gautier's late 80s, early 90s era. Yeah. Again, his golden years. You look at the piercing tattoo collection, which is still so current. Yeah. And you think, my God, this guy really nailed it. Yeah. You know, he did Because they knew the discipline. Were... They knew the yeah. discipline. They knew the couture techniques. They were in Paris learning instead of spending time on fucking Instagram being fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were technicians, you know, and they also surrounded themselves with people who were extremely good and were experts and who could who could you know translate their language yeah. into clothing but i mean you know there was a certain expectation a certain level of what you could present mm -hmm. you know and uh, it, it's strange you know I, I really feel we're going back to this idea that you know you and you say so beautifully eugene you say you we get the fashion that we deserve you know yes. and that's it you want to live in a mediocre world you yeah. get mediocre clothes exactly. that's how it is you know yeah. and you don't want it then you have to look for it elsewhere you know yeah. that, that's it yeah. yeah exactly so yeah uh and the same with rigid belly right like what was he doing there in the first place it just didn't work because you know trying to do mini skirts and and hooker boots you know thigh high boots for Bali is not the right thing to do. I mean, that's not that's not what the house is about. So why don't these designers spend a bit of time trying to understand what the house really stands yeah. for yeah. and what the values are? You know, and I feel that by the way, that the the brand now that is getting that is going really really down now and getting things completely wrong is Gucci because if you yeah. saw the last resort show in Seoul, it, it starts going really, really downhill. And now it starts looking like other brands. Yeah. When your stuff starts to look like other brands, you're done. Exactly. You're it's embarrassing. You know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I mean, we can, you know, again, we can like criticize uh, Demna all day long, but he has created a look on the runway. Yeah. You know, yeah, he, he, has he has created uh a signature and a direction etc uh and i also yeah well curious what's going to happen to him um but yeah. yeah this i really wish brands would start and and i said like yeah management plays a role but hiring mm. the right designer is a management decision and it starts with that. <laughs> remember remember uh, Justin O'Shea at Brioni? Yes, my God, yes. <laughs> I'm like, no one learned from that? <laughs> no, but obviously nobody Lohan. did. And, and, and look at Nina Ricci now. Look yeah, at what Nina horrible, Ricci is, honestly. Horrible. It's like, it's not even Project Runway. It's, it's like a parody of Project Runway, yeah. you know, it, that we're living in. And this is, this is designer fashion today. This yeah. is what we have to look at and what we have yeah. to critique yeah. and what we have to, I you know, know, I know what is put on an official calendar in Paris are these clothes. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, yeah. something is going really, really wrong with yeah. this whole system. And I don't know who's pulling the strings there, but they're also huge abuses of power, you know, for sure. So what are the records uh, now? Yeah. Uh, Rui 
Bridget, Bally, Ludovic at Antimily Mister, Justin O'Shea. They they join an illustrious company of Justin O'Shea at Brioni and Lindsay Lohan at Ungaro. <laughs> Remember that. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Yes! Oh my God! You're pulling all the you're pulling the best vintage. It's you the can record find book YouTube. of Guinness. That's like that's like the, your finest the Guinness book of yes. records. Yeah, yeah, but Lindsay I mean, Lindsay Lohan that, again, again. You know, that was a very good example. Like, I mean, how could this ever work? And this crass marriage of celebrity and clothing. Mm. You know, I mean, come on. But it, yeah, and then what happened to Ungaro? Well, Ungaro is nowhere today. You know, it's it's gone, and and that's another thing. I think you know some of these brands. You should just put them to sleep. That's okay. You yeah. Know? And yeah, yeah. I think I think when Mart when Martin left, you know, when he walked out after the anniversary show, you know what happened? He didn't go back to the office, and yeah. then people read online that he had left. They had yeah. no idea. You know, yeah. so he just walked out. He was fed up, and he felt probably felt like he, he said everything he had to say. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's it. And maybe that's the reason why there is such a mystique around Margiela. You know, he did not get sucked into that system. Yeah. He basically stopped when he considered that his time was was done. You know, and that was very wise of him. I think. Yeah, yeah. To do that, and when Anne sent a letter to Anne <laughs> <laughs> saying that you know she was quitting and she was leaving her brand, well. Maybe they should have just stopped the brand. You know, I don't know. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Maybe she would have remained as, you know, worshipped and as charismatic and as referential as Margiela's work is today. Maybe that yeah. would have happened too. Maybe. I have no yeah. idea. Yeah, have yeah. No idea. But of course, it's hard when you no longer own your brand, right? What can you do? And and I feel like Margiela, I mean, who knows until we speak with him. Maybe he has that strength of character. But I know, I am sure, like, Anne's heart bleeds. I'm sure Helmut Lang is still fucking pissed at what happened. I'm sure Jill Sander is furious about what happened yeah. to her brand. So I imagine it, it's incredibly hard to walk away from something that I mean, has your name your on it. name, yeah. exactly. Imagine what it does to you. Imagine what it does to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it must be a nightmare. It must yeah. be like a living nightmare yeah. to see things under your name that look so ghastly and disgusting. I mean, yeah. it must be horrible. I'm thinking of Jill. I think about Jill a lot because Jill also, you know, she had things in her personal life that were also quite tragic, you know, losing her her partner to, to cancer and things like that. There were a lot of things that were tough. And of course, she's never going to talk about them, but maybe because she doesn't want to appear a certain way. But I think, you know, God, it's like, it's tough. And still she did Uniqlo and she wanted to come back and she wanted that recognition, you mm-hmm. know, and there's still a lot of love for her and what yes. she stands for as a person. And she's no longer at her house. And it's just so sad. You it know, is. In a way. I think. I don't know. I think it's what Anne did actually was the right thing to separate herself from the fashion. Yeah. To move into completely new territory, use her creativity in different mm-hmm. ways and, and enjoy her life and have yeah. a new life, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, listen, I'm loving the ceramics. <laughs> My house yeah, is full I think of it. <laughs> I think, and she's not the only one actually who does that. I mean, Dirk von Sander does amazing yeah. ceramics as well. So yeah. you know, she oh, won't be the first designer. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So, you know, it's it's kind of like, I think it's, uh, she found ways to reinvent herself, but I think the legacy is always there and it stays there. And, and you know, my question earlier was like, okay, like why, 
why revive Andermel Mester now and why revive it the way that it's been done? Because it's yeah. like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it's really strange because it started out very hopeful actually. You know, uh, Claudio yeah. Antonioli said we will respect the house codes. Uh, they did a gorgeous job remaking the Antwerp store. I think it's really beautiful. The store is beautiful. Um, yeah. But I don't know what happened then. And like on the management front, I'm now I'm also like, I, I think the only bright appointment recently has been Peter Doe at Helmut Lang. Yeah, and, which and makes I, sense. Yeah. It does make sense because I know Peter loves Helmut Lang and it's just like such a prize. And I do, from what I understand, the mandate is to bring Helmut Lang back to being like a runway fashion with capital F brand. Mm -hmm. But boy, am I also afraid. I'm like, I. they better put that scaffolding around Peter and give him the resources and the right team and get a, and be on the same page in terms of what the brand but should be. What's the timing of his first show? Do you know about this? Like when he's going to It's 24, I think. So he has enough time. Uh, I think it's going yeah, to be like February Yeah, and then there will be 24. already probably two seasons of Phoebe Philo under her own name or right season. yeah so the timing might be quite smart you know yeah yeah but but again i am like now this is on management because i know peter can do the job right he's mm. like the, one of the few bright spots today um and well you know let's see i mean i know they have the archive of helmut and god knows there are many helmut archives out there right now uh and yeah. but i think the mandate will be the same to bring helmut lang into today respecting sort of the house codes but i hope they give him enough infrastructure uh with Keep good people around him, resources, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to really make it work and not like yank it away <laughs> after the first. Collection. I think it also maybe would have been easier if they had stopped the brand when Helmut left, and now they would be launching it again with him. You know, yeah, that would probably. But the problem is that there's been like all of these years of like all these people coming in and designing it and different guest yeah. designers and all that stuff. And it yeah. was messy and all these collaborations, which now, by the way, are over as well. This collaboration yeah. thing, nobody wants to talk about that yeah. anymore. But you know, that's, it's, it's sort of like, all you can't really erase all of these things that happened before. Like look at Lanvin. That's another one, actually designer mm -hmm. who's gone, Bruno Scialelli, you know, he was also told to, Oh, really? Go. So, oh yeah, Lanvin has no designer now. So what do you do with that brand? I mean, there's still the, the ghost of Albert, you know, who's, like, yeah. who's probably in the building yeah. and there's been Bushra and there's been like him and, and, you know, and it's just like, it damages the, the it damages the integrity yeah. of the brand. You know, it's sort mm -hmm. of like, I don't know what it does, but it sort of makes the brand look insecure. You know, mm -hmm. and I think going back to this idea of, of confidence of the management deciding that Ludovic has to go after six months, that doesn't make the brand look confident at all. Yeah, all. exactly. And same with ballet, right? Like you just, oh, you just don't Yeah, they're do nervous. That. You, you know, there's a nervousness. There's, there's an anxiety, there's a fear, mm -hmm. and you don't stick to your talent. You yeah. don't 
you know, you don't believe in your talent. So something is something is wrong there. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I think it's interesting that you mentioned Lanvon because literally last week I was thinking like, who is due for a revival that I think would like hit? And I thought Albert Elbaz's work at Lanvon, maybe that's due for a revival because... I mean, how good was that? That was. It's actually just... a beautiful brand, and I have to say that even before Albert, there were some really good designers, including like a fantastic Belgian one mm. uh, who worked for Lanvin, and Lanvin used to do haute couture. And of course, you cannot mention Lanvin without mentioning Claude Montana, who's one of my favorites. Yes. Yes. I mean, the Claude Montana Lanvin collections. People were actually sobbing. At the shows, they were just crying. Really? You know? And he made the whole company bankrupt. Mm. And he got two Des d'Or, which were like the Oscars of fashion at the time. So he received two of his prizes, <laughs> but he made the company completely bankrupt <laughs> and they let him go because he was spending too much money. Yeah. But the collections are, I mean, I, I was lucky enough in Paris to see some of it at Didier Ludo. And that's the night I met Claude Montana, who could hardly say a word. But mm. the clothing was extraordinary. So I think you're right. Lanvin has an incredible legacy. And again, I would give it to a strong women's wear designer. You know, you know what? I would have given it to Phoebe Philo. 100%. Because it's also a mother-daughter. Yeah, it's a mother-daughter story. And it's a brand, I think, after Albert, it should go to a woman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. Oh, what a mess. So I'm curious, like, what are the remedies? If, if we are really at the end of the hype era, what, what would you like to see? There needs to be a strong name in fashion that makes integrity trendy again. I mean, it sounds like a joke, what I'm saying, but it needs to be somebody who says, hello, this is me. I have kudos in the industry, I have influence, and you're going to focus on the clothes now. And in my mind, that name is Phoebe. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't want to burden Phoebe with, with too much, but in my head, she's the one who can say, hey, guys, look at the clothes. Yeah. Focus on the clothes. Like, focus yeah. on the beauty of the clothes. And I'm really curious and eager to see how people will respond to her comeback because mm -hmm. she's loved by yes. so many, she's loved by, she's worshipped by so many. I mean, there are countless, you know, Celine by Phoebe Philo Instagram yeah, yeah. account. So it, can, can she still have that sort of power over fashion? I'm very curious to see mm -hmm. that. But if somebody like her, you know, again, is celebrated and people worship her clothes, then I think she can open up exciting yeah. new doors you know and i think maybe we will value clothing again the integrity of clothing which is what a designer like peter advocates and defends yes. you know so yeah. why not you know it would be wonderful and then yeah. again we can have intelligent cerebral fashion intelligent yes. design yeah. which is what we crave for you know yeah no. i agree uh i also would what i would like to see is young designers or they don't have to be young but designers who have been uh like alessandro michele michele like uh you know uh mathieu blasi peter peter Mullier, like okay i'm i'm iffy on alaya but that's a different story but mm -hmm. people who have already gone through the system they know how to make clothes for sure 
I would like to see yeah. them given a chance. I mean, we saw this with Daniel Lee at, at Bottega, right? I mean, that worked. Mm-hmm. I would like to see more of that. And I would like like the management to say, okay, now it's your time. Show us what you got, but we're also going to build the scaffolding around you with talented people, with marketing. We're going to support you. We're going to support you. You should be supported. Yeah. And again, Mm -hmm. not everyone can do that. Again, LVMH and Caring are in very luxurious position. They're sitting on a ton of cash. They can advertise the hell out of any brand they own. And we know, unfortunately, for better or worse, that is important. Hmm. Second, so this is what I would like to see. Instead of like getting like, oh, this guy makes like cool hoodies and has a half a million of followers on Instagram. Let's give him the brand. Like that's over. Uh, management, I hope you're listening to this. That's over. Just stop. And another thing I wonder, um, do... Does every brand need a revival? Like, does Bali need to be a fashion brand? Does Ferragamo need to be a fashion brand? No, I don't think everybody needs to be fashion and not everyone should do fashion. And I think these are two different things, especially if you see yourself as luxury and you want to establish yourself like that. I mean, the best example is Hermès, you know, everybody wants to be Hermès and I'm sure Gucci would like to get to that level too, or even Bali or even some of our brands. But you know, the truth is that uh, it's never been about fashion. It's a complete lifestyle and it's a philosophy. So uh, I don't think anybody should try to do fashion. I think fashion is for a very specific kind of uh, clientele. Well, on that note, I think this has been a great analysis. And like you, I hope that the end of era of hype is over. Let's burn some candles and pray, Eugene. There's nothing else we can do at this point. <laughs> Thank you, Philippe. I, uh, I appreciate you coming on and uh, talk soon. No, thank you, Eugene. Bye. Yeah, talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc, intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Thank you for listening.